Hey everybody, it's Jake Wiskirchen back with you on the Noggin Notes podcast. Today's episode is a little different one. I take you on a bit of a mental journey uh, through a flowchart. And let me tell you, doing visual stuff on radio is pretty challenging. Uh, so I hope it works and I hope you enjoy it and get something out of it. I thought it was fascinating, and as I uh, start to dig a little deeper into this model, I'm finding it uh, really, really useful. So I I hope you find it useful, too. The show, as always, is brought to you by Zephyr Wellness. You can check out zephyrwellness.org and see what uh, the company that I co-own is doing and offering in northern Nevada. We, uh, We are about to celebrate our fourth anniversary, and I am just in disbelief that it's been that long. Uh, but I'm also very proud and I'm proud of our team and, uh, and I thank everybody for helping us along the way. If you're listening to this on dash radio, or if you've downloaded the podcast and you didn't know that we have an app, please download the noggin notes app. It's a great way to track your emotions and, um, and make notes about, uh, what your noggin is doing. Uh, when we first started out, I've kind of walked away from the, the tagline, but uh, Noggin Notes aims to educate and enrich your noggin on matters of all things related to behavioral health, psychological growth, emotional functioning, spirituality, mental wellness broadly, and uh, the app certainly helps do that. So if you haven't downloaded the app, check out the app. Without further delay, this is my podcast episode on how to identify emotions through your beliefs, and vice versa. I think you're going to dig it. And if you do, email us at info at nogginotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. If you don't dig it, uh, just keep those opinions to yourself. (laughs) Uh, No, but we do want to hear from you. If you don't dig it, let us know why, and uh, we can make some adjustments later. But in the meantime, enjoy the show. So we've been doing this podcast for quite some time now, and We've run several episodes on emotional functioning. In fact, we did all 10 emotions uh, twice, uh, once in the very, very beginning to as an accompaniment to the app. And if you haven't downloaded the app of Noggin Notes, please do so. But uh, we, we did it first as, just as a very brief overview. There are no more than um, you know 10 or 12 minute long introductions to each emotion. And then recently, we just did it again around um, you know December of, of 2018. And I went into a little bit deeper detail on each of the emotions. Uh, we did two per episode for a half hour apiece, and, and it went a little bit deeper. Um, and that's all well and good, and it was all designed to give you some information about what emotions are and what they do and the messages that they're supposed to be sending you because they're informational, not, uh, not necessarily positive or negative, although we can certainly draw conclusions from, from whether or not we like them. However, what I've not done yet is give you... Uh, the listening audience, some practical tools on uh, how to use this stuff and what it means. So I want to do that today, and I want to do it in the context of treatment planning. So as I'm treating someone as a client, uh, I I have to have an objective, and then uh, those objectives go to a goal, and uh, the goal speaks to a problem. So when somebody comes in for counseling, I say, you know, what, what brings you in today? And they 
state whatever they're struggling with. And that would be the, the, the problem, the stated problem, if you will. Not That's not necessarily to indicate that that is everything, but it's, but it's a good starting place. And then through the course of an interview initially and then um, subsequent sessions, the, the interview continues to unfold um, for as long as treatment takes because we're always discovering new information about people and, and their circumstances and their upbringings and so forth. But um, initially, we can ascertain a, a, a generic problem area, say, um, yeah, I can't sleep at night. That may be what brings the person in, and they can't they can't put their finger on it, they can't figure it out. So I start thinking, well, what keeps people up at night? Typically, it's anxiety because your your mind is wandering and there's thoughts uh, roaming through your head that maybe don't belong there at eleven thirty at night or whatever it is. And um, so I start with a framework, and and I'm working within that problem area to dis- determine what the goal is. So if the person says, "I can't sleep at night," I want you to help me with this. Well, the goal would be try to get them to sleep faster, right? Uh, and this is oversimplified, but then we'd have objectives to that goal. So objectives to being able to sleep at night might be calming techniques. It might be coping skills. It might be being able to, um, create, uh, a list of priorities of those thoughts that are in their head and then realize the ones that they can hang on to and solve right in that moment versus the ones they can let go of till the next morning. So those might be objectives to the goal. And we'd like our objectives and our goals to be, uh, what's called quantifiable, meaning we we would know when we achieve them. So there there might be a, a certain time. We'll, we'll stick with the sleeping, the sleeplessness thing for a second. We'll, there might be a certain time by which the person wants to go to bed, and um, and if they're exceeding that by an hour and a half, say they want to be in bed by ten thirty, and they're they're not falling asleep till eleven thirty, um, then we would want to try to. Sh- shave that down a little bit. And so then we would know we're achieving our goal. Um, you know, the closer we can get to 10 o'clock, then, you know, the better off they are. So objectives will help us get there, but we have an overall target in the form of a problem. And we'll know that the, the goals have been achieved when the problem goes away. And that's not to say that a new problem can't present itself, but, but generally you get the concept. So when we talk about emotional functioning, I, I look at the way that emotions play a role in, uh, that stated problem that brought the person into, into counseling. The um, the underlying piece there being anxiety for the person who's laying awake at night worrying about things that can't be dealt with at 1130, uh, for me, is rooted in some sort of fear or worry. So fear would be the emotion, and they're worried about things that uh, are out of their control, and uh, and it's occupying space in their head that uh, that they, they would prefer not be occupied at that hour because they'd rather be asleep. So I'll focus in on the fear, right? So We'll go from there, but I want to back up just a bit, and I want to paint a, paint a picture for you. So if you could clear your minds for a second, and if you're driving or you're running on the treadmill, don't, don't close your eyes. <laughs> you don't need to do that. But um, you, can, um, you can just clear your head and envision like a, like a whiteboard. So I drew this on the whiteboard, and I have it in front of me, and I'm looking at it. So envision a whiteboard, and I'm going to describe a flow chart for you. And at the top of the flow chart is the emotion. Um, so in this case, it would be fear, but you you you'd have all 10 emotions as possibilities up at the top of the flow chart because that's the first thing that triggers. And, uh, and I'm not going to debate whether or not thoughts trigger emotions or emotions trigger thoughts. There, there is a debate to be had, and it's uh, circumstantial, and it's, and it's variable. And it, but for this uh, purpose, we'll, we'll just have fear up there, right? So we can go back and forth along this flow chart as we go. The first thing that I try to help people understand is where to identify fear physically in their body they feel the emotion so in this case the fear and it may be a low level fear and i say fear and it sounds very heavy but you know if you're just laying awake at night worrying about things it may be somewhere in your in your uh, physical uh, body 
so I might ask, you know, where, where do you feel the fear? Is it in your gut? Is it in your head? Does your face get flushed? Um, and so some people might immediately identify, oh, well, I, when I get angry, my face gets flushed. Or when I get ashamed, uh, I feel lightheaded and, and embarrassed or a little detached or whatever it may be. When I feel afraid, um, my legs go numb. You know, so, so it's, all, it's very individualized to, to individual people. Um, but, but by and large, we, we know what we feel when we feel it. And we know where it is in our bodies. And the idea is to link where you're feeling it with the emotion so that when you feel that physical sensation in your body, you know, oh, I'm, I'm scared or I'm, I'm ashamed or uh, I am angry. So, so that then you can determine what the emotion is, right? So in this flow chart, we've got emotions at the top and the next thing down is physical location in your body. Now, after that, after you identify the physical location, um, you can go back and forth, right? Sometimes the physical, uh, appears first and you don't know what it is that you're feeling because maybe you've practiced over many years, not accurately labeling your emotions, but you know, you feel something. Well, this exercise should help you to, to discern which emotion you're feeling. And I, I don't want you to memorize all 10 emotions right now that, that, that's something you can practice later, but, but in your head for, for the meanwhile, just think at the top of the flow chart is emotions and right under it is physical location, but those can be switched. Sometimes you feel the, the thing first and then you identify it later. Um, sometimes you identify it first and then feel it, but, but that's irrelevant. What is relevant is that you link them because the next installment on the flow chart is what is the message of the emotion sending you. So for fear, it's to tell you that there's a threat or a danger. And, and we've been over this, and you can go back and listen to the fear episode if you want. Um, but, but the message or the adaptive function of that emotion is important. And it's important for all the reasons that I went over in the, in the overview episode. You can go back and listen to that if you want, the, the, you know, why emotions are important and, and emotional functioning, uh, you know, the foundational stuff. But there's a message there, and it's important so that we know how to react to the environment. So if there's, a, if there's a worry, which is on the fear continuum, about things that have yet to happen, and you're laying awake in bed thinking about things you wish you could control, and you can't because they're, they're not here yet, or um, you know maybe you need to pay some bills, but everything's closed because it's 1130 at night, um, you, can, you can interpret that, okay, this is a threat. There's, a, there's a, a very real danger, and what is the danger? We can analyze that. We can pick it apart and say, um, the danger is that if I don't pay the bill uh, or I don't move the laundry or whatever it is, there's a consequence and that consequence is unpleasant. So therefore, I'm right to worry about this thing. Now, I want to I very clearly state it's okay to feel whatever you feel whenever you feel it. The next step is where we get to decide whether or not it's appropriate at that time. So on this flow chart, we've got emotions, we've got physical location in the body, we've got the the adaptive function or the message that it's sending, what, what lesson are we supposed to be learning from this emotion? And then right after that is origin. And what I mean by origin is where does this emotion come from? Is it external, meaning it's something like a bill that needs to be paid, or is it internal, meaning you're judging yourself, you're thinking about things that uh, maybe you're, you're applying an interpretation to that's comes from you, right? It's not, it's not something from the outside environment that's doing it. So a bill to be paid or laundry to be moved, if you're laying awake at night thinking about things, is a legitimate worry about things that need to be dealt with in your life. That's external. Now we'll take our flow chart, and so we'll go emotion, fear, physical location, you know, wherever it is in your body. The function is to tell you that this needs to be worried about because there's a danger that if you don't pay the bill, you know, bad things happen. They, they take your house or whatever. And then the origin is external. It's, it's a bill that needs to be paid. Now, 
if the answer is, and you always go external, is this thing external? Yes. Okay. Then we pop back up to what's, what's the, what's the message here? The message is I need to worry about this. Uh, then you can make a decision. Do I need to worry about it right now? And if it, if that's the case, because the bill needs to be paid tomorrow or, you know, whatever, and you have online bill pay and you open up the app on your phone and you go to your bank and you, you type in the, the amount that needs to be paid and you send the money. Well, that's, that's fine. That's an, that's a, a needful worry that, um, was attended to. You solve the problem. Now you can go back to sleep. If it's laundry that needs to be moved, just tiptoe downstairs, throw the laundry in the dryer, go back upstairs. If that's what helps you go to sleep at night. Now we can do this, um, until, we get rid of all the thoughts that are going through our head now until we get to the ones that can't be dealt with. And then we have a decision to make. Is this worry necessary now? So we're not invalidating the fear or the worry, you know, as, as worthless or whatever. It's just the timing is inappropriate. So then you have an option to, to get that thing out of your head and just say, I'll, I'll deal with that later. And there's tools and tips and techniques for doing that. One of which I really enjoy, which is writing the stuff down on a piece of paper, and just setting it on the nightstand because it'll be there for you in the morning. But right now, what you have to do is go to sleep. So, you know, for example, if it's buying groceries uh, for tomorrow night's dinner, you, you don't have to do that at 1130. In fact, you, you might not be able to if the store is closed, but you can write it down, buy groceries. Because a lot of times, in my experience, people who are awake at night worrying about things, they're worrying about things that they're actually worried they'll forget the next day. Um, so the, the, you're actually becoming, you become worried about the worry and, uh, and then it creates a stacking effect and that in and of itself is, is troubling too. And it'll keep you awake. Uh, so, um, you can set that aside and know it'll be there for later. And there's other tips that you can use. So what happens if the answer is no, this is not external. What if the worry is I worry about what the boss at work thinks of me? Well, that's, that's internal. There's, there's nothing external about that. It's all based on your perception of things, right? Unless you go and ask your boss directly, which I hope you would not do at 1130 at night. Um, you know, Hey boss, what do you think of me? Uh, and then you have to believe them if you know, they're giving you a straight answer, if they give you an answer. Um, unless you ask them directly, you're not going to get an answer, which means that that probably originated somewhere inside you, inside your own head. So that would be an internal origin of the fear. Now, remember the messaging is there's a threat or a danger. We're sticking with fear here, right? So you're worried about what your boss thinks of you. Maybe there's implications to that. Maybe if your boss doesn't like you, you lose your job, or maybe you get demoted, or maybe you don't get as many hours, or or they change your shift to something undesirable. So, so there might be legitimate worry there. So again, we're not invalidating the emotion. We're saying it has real authority, and it needs to be paid attention to. However, if the origin of the emotion is internal, meaning your thoughts are focusing on something and you get to control your thoughts, you get to direct where your attention goes. If your thoughts are focusing on something for which you have no evidence, like I, I think my boss doesn't like me, therefore I must worry at 1130 at night about this thing I can't change and have no evidence <laughs> that it even exists. Uh, it starts to sound a little ridiculous, but people do this all the time and I, I've certainly done it. What we can ascertain from that is that as a belief system, you believe something based on whatever. Um, there, there may be evidence. There may be the boss gives you, you know, wicked side eye when you walk through the door every morning. Uh, <laughs> he may also have a twitch <laughs> and, and, and you're interpreting it differently, but either way, it's something internal. It's a, it's a belief system that was, um, either created by someone else, imparted by someone else, created by you based on a series of experiences in your life. Uh, or it was a combination of those. 
So either way, you arrive at this point in time where it's 1130 at night, you're worried about what your boss thinks of you or the bully at school or the, or, um, whatever it is, whether or not something's going to happen tomorrow that's judgy or, or shaming or whatever it is. And then you get to question whether or not that belief is useful. And this is a real, real tough exercise because we often are blind, uh, to what our beliefs are, but they operate in the background to do things like make us worry and keep us awake. Um, and sometimes they, they build all the way into anxieties that are, become life interfering. So let me give you another example. We'll stick with fear and worry and anxiety, but we'll shift it away from the idea that it's, uh, 1130 at night and you're, you're, you've got thoughts rolling through your head. Um, let's put it into something like, uh, an overly active, hard charging company executive who has, um, achieved great success in his or her, life and uh, he or she now is doing really well but can't shake off the needless um, impulse to continue working at a dogged pace because uh, that's what got them to where they are and uh, and this is this is relevant because it just came up in a conversation recently with uh, with another person sometimes we have belief systems that say try hard work hard achieve put in lots of hours, um, and it's driven by maybe an insecurity that says you're not going to be good enough un- unless you do X. Well, after a period of time, X may have been achieved, but you still have the belief system in place that's producing the anxiety that used to be useful. At one time, it was a useful belief system, but because you've achieved X now, it's no longer useful. And what's, what's necessary is to change that belief system that creates the anxiety for a different belief system, a different motivation, a different um, uh, impetus to, to do things. And maybe that belief system is no longer work many long hours just to grind it out and earn your uh, climb of the, the ladder. Maybe the belief system that needs, to be, that needs to replace that is work smarter, build consensus, um, join people across the organization. It's no longer about you working in your silo, pumping out widgets you know, on the line or uh, documents from your cubicle. It's about interpersonal relations. And there is there is no hard work that's going to get that accomplished. There is no many, many hours in a week of overtime that's going to accomplish human uh, interconnection and, and synthesis. That's just going to take time, right? You can't speed that up by working faster. So therein lies a challenge where we've got this anxiety. So we'll go back to our flow chart. The anxiety is a fear that says, you know, Hurry up and achieve because if you don't, then bad things will happen. That's a threat. That's a that's a danger. It's real. So it's a fear. There's a, there may be a physical location in the body. Boy, I just get sick to my stomach every time I, I, I think I'm not going to get a project done or I'm going to bomb a presentation. Okay, that's legitimate, and we've identified it as a fear. What's the message? The message is that there's a threat. Uh, if you don't do it, then um, you're not going to get promoted, right? So that's legitimate. And then we go to the origin. Is it external? Well, no, because there's no more... Uh, projects to achieve. There's no more presentations to do. I mean, there may be presentations, but um, but the point is, you've now evolved to the point where you don't know what to do with this habit of you, what used to be relevant, useful anxiety that now just is anxiety for anxiety's sake. So it's not external; it's internal, and you have to go to the belief system that says, "Man, this this used to work for me. I uh, you know I spent 15 or 16 years hard charging." Uh, but for the last four years, ever since I got this uh, certain promotion, all I'm left with is, is anxiety, but I, I don't know what to do with it. 
we got to analyze the belief system and say, maybe you don't need to do that anymore. Maybe the long hours aren't necessary, um, you know, especially if they're long hours spent uh, on social media or checking your fantasy football scores or whatever, um, because those aren't productive hours. And there is no way to make those hours productive in the current position that you now have. So we want to challenge the beliefs and see if the beliefs are even useful. And I overlay, I mentally overlay this template, this flow chart with people when I work with them. So when they come in and they state, uh, hey, Jake, I'm depressed. I, I need help with you know my depression. The first thing I go to is what is, what is the root emotion of this depression? What is the root emotion of this uh, um, embarrassed uh, self-efficacy, lack of self-efficacy? You know, I don't think my, I'm, I don't think I'm good enough. Um, maybe I'm, I'm too excitable. Like I want to go to the root. There's shame, there's guilt, there's, there's sadness, there's, maybe there's anger. And, and I'll try to go through this flow chart and say, I, th- I think I'll just, I'll just jump right through it, um, mentally. Cause I practice this a lot and I'll go, where's this coming from? So I'll go straight to the origin. I know what the emotion is. I'll label it for him. I'll say, you know, it sounds, it sounds like you're just, you're just full of shame. And usually a person who's living in shame will, will accept that and they'll nod. Um, and I'll say, it, it, and I'll mentally to them, to myself, I'll, I'll be analyzing this. I've I've known this person a long time, or I've I've conducted several sessions with them, or I've I've done a really robust uh, biopsychosocial interview. And I'll say, okay, what they're telling me is that this shame is coming from the external, uh, because it's uh, it originates with their mother, for example, and and maybe this is an adult person who says, yeah, I just don't feel good about myself. I'm, I've never had confidence, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but all the all the outside. Uh, things point to you should have confidence. You're successful. You got a family. You're 37 years old, and what I'm hearing is, man, there's just there's just this shallowness, right? There's there's this lack of self confidence. Is it external? And they say, yeah. Every time I talk to my mom, she reminds me that you know that that I'm not in the career that she wished I would have been in. I go, okay, that's that's a little bit of external because mom is the reminder. But it's also heavily internal because the person in front of me is keeping the dialogue alive in, in his or her head. They're keeping the narrative, the story alive that I'm not good enough and I won't ever be good enough. That's a belief system that we can challenge. And we can also challenge the external. Hey, do you, do you need to keep talking to your mom about your career? Or can you talk to your mom about you know the grandkids? Um, and so we can, we can make some modifications to the, to the way the person lives life such that they, they maybe avoid those unpleasant conversations, but they also challenge the belief systems, look around and use some evidence. We pull them from limbic system into, into, uh, cognition, into the frontal lobe and say, look, we have evidence of happy family, uh, good, successful career, uh, loving spouse, uh, all sorts of things. Right. And now point to me in this just bombardment of, of evidence that says you are worthwhile and um, valuable, point to me in this evidence that says the opposite, that somehow supports your narrative. And usually they're like, well, no, the way you put it, there isn't any evidence. It's just this constant drumbeat of my mother saying I've, I'm not good enough and I've never been good enough all the way back to my earliest memories of you know six years old playing t-ball or whatever uh, and, and them always being disappointed no matter what I did. I go, okay, well, I think we found it. It's a combination of internal and external, and you could do something about both of those. Now, let's pretend that um, the parents are not around anymore, but they still have that narrative. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not from the parents. Maybe it's from the schoolyard, and this adult person just does still doesn't have any self efficacy, doesn't have any self confidence because they were bullied a lot. And, and when you're bullied for many, 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 many years, it's really hard to see value in yourself. So we've got shame at the root of that. It's, it's 
and shame, what does shame say? Shame says you failed to meet somebody else's expectations. Well, bullies are never going to tell you their expectations. They're just going to tell you that, that you suck. And so we can analyze that and say, is this a rational shame? The shame is real, but it's not based in anything rational. There's nothing legitimate about that, um, especially if the bully was, you know, 24 years ago and this person is still struggling with, with internal self-esteem issues. We go, hey, this, I think this is a belief system that you have about yourself that was rooted long ago in third grade by somebody who, who had way too much authority over your life anyway. You know, the other third grader on the playground telling you you, you looked funny is still with you today. And we need to analyze that and pick it apart and say, this is a belief that's no longer useful to me, um, if it ever was in the first place. So um, I want to take a break because I've been talking for quite some time um, and come back after the break and kind of put a bow on this with, a, with an analogy. So stick with us. Uh, you're listening to the Noggin Notes podcast. Okay, we are back. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, I was talking about this uh, mental flow chart that we might have to identify emotion, identify what the emotion is telling us, and then chiefly the origin of the emotion, whether it's internal or external. And if it's external, we respond to it uh, because the environment is you know, giving us a message and uh, we, need to, we need to obey that message. And if it's internal, we can evaluate the belief system that's creating it and change our thoughts, change our beliefs, if you will, and, uh, you know, and alleviate some pain if that's what's going on. So... The metaphor I wanted to use, the analogy, comes from uh, comes from uh, biblical scripture. It comes from the New Testament, and um, I'm not a chapter and verse guy, and I probably should have looked this up. But it's it's either in John or Mark, one of the one of the Gospels. Uh, but it talks about how uh, God prunes uh, the branches that don't bear fruit. And when I first learned about this several years ago, um, what uh, what what struck me was that uh, the way it was presented was. Uh, vintners in their in their vineyards who are you know winemakers they go through the the, the vines and they cut off uh, branches that either don't bear fruit or even in some cases they do bear fruit and in order to produce a better grape so as a as a winemaker goes through the vineyard and cuts off branches of the vines uh, it makes the overall bush healthier and you get better fruit so in some cases the the vineyard I'm sorry the vintner the, the person who makes the wine, uh, will cut off fruit-bearing branches, fruit-bearing vines. And that doesn't make any sense to those of us who don't make wine because we're like, well, you, more grapes equals more wine, right? But what they want is better wine, not more wine necessarily. So it's, it's, it's quality over quantity. And in, in order to do that, they have to cut off some of the branches that are you know observably useful as well as the ones that aren't. Uh, in order to make the best grapes, uh, so that the plant is putting the most energy it can into the into the the resources that that it needs, uh, you know, in the form of the grapes, and it's not wasting them and overall diminishing the the quality of the the grape. So when we challenge our belief systems, uh, if you, if you're of a spiritual uh, nature, you can believe in a God who comes along and gently guides you or prunes the the areas of you that that are no longer necessary. And in this case, it would be an old belief system that doesn't serve you anymore. So maybe maybe we have old belief systems based in fear or based in pain or based in shame that help to protect us against outside um, attacks. Uh, maybe, you know, if, if it's the kid who was getting bullied on the playground, um, the, the shame was useful to try to maintain some sort of sense of um, social standing, you know, where they're like, huh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to look funny. Uh, can we still hang out? You're like, like it's sort of adaptive and functional to just so you don't get kicked out of the whole, uh, club, so to speak on the playground. 
Uh, I know I experienced that. It didn't work very well. I ended up, you know, most of the time hiding myself in the library in middle school uh, to avoid getting beat up on the on the playground. It, it was miserable. Um, but then I carried that forward into into adulthood. And I know a lot of people listening to this will will identify with that, where they're carrying forward beliefs about themselves that uh, maybe were useful back in the day, even on a low level, uh, but are not at all useful now. So if you're carrying shame about yourself into your marriage, uh, that's not going to make for a very intimate experience with your with your mate, with your partner. Uh, so we want to we want to question those beliefs, almost like the the vintner comes along and prunes branches that are not useful anymore. But in some cases, there are still branches that observably look useful and are not. And let me give you an example of this. When I first learned about this uh, this this parable um, about the the vines and the clipping of the of the fruit bearing uh, branches. I was going through a time when my first child was born, uh, almost four years ago now, and I had I was I was in church and I learned this in church and I watched this YouTube video on how branches are pruned and, and why they sometimes cut off the the ones that have grapes on them, and it and again it was bizarre to me, uh, but but later it made sense, and I was playing baseball on in a Sunday recreational league at the time, uh, wood bats, uh, full size field. It was very very cool, uh, adult league, and I I played baseball for the better part of thirty years on and off in various forms, and baseball was very important to me. It still is. I like it uh, for reasons I won't get into now. But at the time, I was facing this crisis of uh, of having to prune some things in my life, and one of those things became very obvious to me that the Sunday recreational league. That I was, that I'd played in for, oh shoot, like 15 years at that point, 13, 14, 15 years at that point, uh, of the 30 years that I'd played baseball, was going to have to be pruned. I was having a family, and the family needed attending, and the time it took to go to batting practice, uh, you know, weekday nights, and to go to the field early. I like, I like raking dirt. Uh, I like, I like prepping the field. So I'd go there early, and I'd prep the field, and I'd tamp the mound, and I'd. And I drag the the base paths, and I I drop the chalk lines, and and I do all sorts of stuff, and, and it was it was almost my it was my zen really. Um, I really enjoyed being there, and um, I would spend several hours at the baseball field. I couldn't do that anymore. I had a, I had a family coming, and that needed to be pruned. So even though I got a great deal of satisfaction out of the baseball, what I realized and in, um, in this lesson was that it was time to prune that uh, apparently healthy branch that bore some fruit in order to allow other branches with better fruit to grow. And all I had was a faith step to take because I had no evidence that my family was going to be more enjoyable than baseball that I'd known almost my entire life, uh, dating back to early childhood. But I knew that it was obvious and it was it was a cut that had to be made. So sometimes when we evaluate these belief systems internally that are giving us the emotional reactivity to the environment, um, it's, a, it's a little bit off-kilter. Um, we have to look at them neutrally and say, look, this served me really well for a really long time and something else is going to serve me better at this juncture. And I don't know whether or not I'll return to baseball. I doubt it because I'm, you know, I'm over the hill now. <laughs> I'm 40 years old and my knees don't work. <laughs> but um, boy, did I, I sure enjoyed it, you know, and, and maybe I'll go hit up a batting cage from time to time. Um, but there's there's areas in the life that eventually you'll have to prune. And that happened to be a, a behavioral output, you know, in the form of baseball. 
Sometimes it's a belief system that says, you know what, I am good enough, doggone it, and I'm tired of, of believing the lies that I was told when I was 8, 9, 10 years old on the playground. I'm going to shake that belief system off, and I'm going to, I'm going to enter into a new me. And then what ends up happening is you get more uh, accurate emotional response to environmental stimulus. You get to express things more accurately. You get to live life more fully. You can be in the present moment. It diminishes anxiety. It takes away shame. It pulls you out of depression. All because you self-evaluated to the point that said, you know what, I don't think this is working for me anymore. And it's it's very, very hard. I will tell you, it's very scary. And if you're not good at practicing emotions, scary is fear. And fear is one of those things, if you haven't practiced it, you're not going to be good at. So I'll just tell you straight up, it's very scary to let go of something that you've known very well for a long time and embrace something new. Um, for me, I didn't know how to raise a family. I mean, I'm, I'm a family therapist, and I've been doing that for a while, and I think I'm pretty good at it. But I never actually lived it. And uh, and it's, and it's hard. <laughs> I will not pull punches on this show. Uh, raising a family is very challenging. Uh, especially when it's so much easier just to retreat to that which you know best. And for me, it was it was baseball or it was snowboarding also, which I had to prune and I haven't snowboarded in about the same time I haven't played baseball. Um, and, and, it's, and it can be very sad as well because you're letting go of a part of you that was very important for a very, very long time. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that it's okay, that it's tolerable. Sadness and fear are just waves of emotion that are necessary to our, our functioning and they can be tolerated. There is a beginning, a middle, and an end to every emotional experience, even if they're brought on by yourself, by your own thinking. Because guess what? It's up to you to decide how much and how long you feel that stuff. Not necessarily whether or not you feel it, but definitely how much and how long you feel it. And what I'm introducing to you here with the evaluation of the belief system is, a lot of times, you can actually have control over whether or not you feel it, especially if that's coming from your own thoughts rooted in a belief system in your own head. I hope this was useful for you. Uh, please write into the show, info at nogginnotes.com or info at zephyrwellness.org. Uh, that concludes my little uh, sermon on you know emotional functioning as I see it and as I help people create their own personal awareness. Kicked off the show by saying it's in the context of treatment. So if you go into your next counseling session and uh, uh, you don't know where you're going and you're just there to talk, ask your clinician. Say, hey, uh, what are my goals here? Like, what are my objectives to the goal? I was listening to this great guy, Jake, on Noggin Notes. Uh, you can say that. That's fine. Um, and, um, and he said that I should be evaluating my belief system uh, in, in context with this, uh, with this treatment plan. And uh, hopefully the, the therapist doesn't look at you like you have a hole in your head. Uh, but, um, but it's a great way to start because what it does ultimately is it reroutes you to being purposeful and intentional with your time in that session uh, so that you're achieving your goals. You're trying to get to, you know, solving the problem that you came in with in the first place and you're doing it through an evaluation of a belief system that may may be impacting how you see the world and whether or not that problem is uh, is rooted in the belief system so uh this time i actually will wrap up that's that's it for for this episode thanks for listening and uh as always we welcome your feedback i already gave you the emails and um you can reach us there on behalf of the Naga Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I wish you all great mental wellness. Take very good care of yourselves. Mm-hmm.